I thought it was very moving at his memorial that the first three people to speak after right. um, Vanessa Bryant were um, Diana Taurasi, Sabrina Ionescu, and Gino Ariema, you know, three women's basketball legends. Well, I hope we continue to have the conversation about, you know, how we treat, um, you know, legacies and, you know, how we cover rape cases and rape trials in the media. And I think that's also part of his legacy. I, I hope that, um, you know, women's basketball and changing minds and hearts and sponsorship dollars about women's basketball is something that much, many more people will take to heart. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week, we talk to the writer of Power Plays, a no BS newsletter about sexism in sports, and the co-host of the Burn It All Down podcast, Lindsay Gibbs. Also, I'm going to be reading a poem by the great poet Kevin Powell about his experience at Kobe Bryant's memorial at the Staples Center last week, followed by an interview I did with Kevin Powell about the writing of that poem. Not your typical sports podcast fare, but very powerful stuff. I also have a Kaepernick watch that looks at two athletes who took the knee in a volleyball game to protest Israel's treatment of the Palestinians. But first, Lindsey Gibbs. I just wanted to start by asking you, you messaged me that it's an extremely eventful time in women's pro sports. Why is that? Well, we're coming in. So we have just uh, last month, the WNBA and or I guess when people are listening to this now, two months ago, uh, the WNBA and the WNBA Players Association just came to a landmark collective bargaining agreement um, that very much um, allows players in the WNBA to make significantly more money than they were before. Um, And that has led to what has been the most exciting WNBA free agency season in league history. So that's all been going on during the month of February. You also have the National Women's Soccer League, which will kick off in April. Um, Of course, still building on the World Cup success from last year. And it's going into now, I believe, its eighth season, um, which is, I mean, before this, the longest running women's sports league, uh, women's soccer league was three seasons. So the fact that we've got a women's pro soccer league that has been able to last this long is phenomenal. And it just keeps growing. It also reached um, some new deals. It doesn't have a a collective bargaining agreement yet, Mm -hmm. but there are, there is more money now to go towards um, international players and to try and compete with some of the leagues that are going on in Europe. They also just named their new um, commissioner. So Mm -hmm. Lisa Baird is the new commissioner, um, which is very exciting news. So that just happened this past week. Um, You know, we're on the, the brink of the NCAA tournament for women's basketball, which is, Oregon with Sabrina Inescu is the leader, of course, the favorite, Mm -hmm. but South Carolina, Baylor, everyone's right there. Everyone's curious to see how UConn does. Um, Maryland, the local team here, Dave, Mm -hmm. uh, is going to be a number one seed. So that should be thrilling. And of course, it's an Olympic season. So, um, you know, you've got all these Olympic sports coming up. Oh, and I forgot to mention there's women's hockey too. the NWHL National Women's Hockey League playoffs um, begin in March. Mm. Now, you mentioned Sabrina and Ionescu, and um, I want to ask, where where do you see her? 
uh, in terms of the pantheon of players of recent years. Uh, from Brianna Stewart, of course, comes to mind. Uh, a little bit older, we've got Maya Moore. But but of the players who've really emerged in the last 15 years, where, where do you see uh, Sabrina Ionescu? It's really interesting because she doesn't have... Um, I don't think when you're first looking at her, her, her raw skills um, aren't quite as, um, you know, yeah. jaw dropping as the Brianna Stewart and um, Maya Moore, who often look like they were built in basketball factories, you mm-hmm. know, just made for the game. She's a little bit shorter. I mean, she's 5'11", which, you know, isn't short, but is, you know, isn't, um, you know, a powerhouse. But her feel for the game and her competitive spirit, I mean, she's up to what? 26 uh, triple doubles um, in her collegiate career, which is unprecedented, men or women. Um, so the way she reads the the floor um, and her competitive drive, it really reminds me of a Diana Taurasi like competitiveness and grit and ability to compartmentalize and desire to win at all costs. You know, it's hard because Maya Moore and um, Brianna Stewart both had obviously phenomenal collegiate careers, but they were at an established powerhouse in UConn, you know, so they mm-hmm. it exceed expectations and they did great. But with Sabrina, she's really built Oregon into a powerhouse in her four years there. And so that's something extra special. And I'm really curious to see how it, it, it transitions into the pro game. I, there are some people who are slightly skeptical. I mean, she will be, um, unless there's a huge shock, she'll be the number one pick by the New York Liberty in the WNBA draft in April. And that's a team that really needs a star. It really needs a ball distributor and scorer. So, you know, she'll be on the court um, if things go according to plan with Tina Charles. Um, To see that duo together, I think the sky is the limit. But I also think the WNBA, the amount, it is growing every year. The influx of talent every year and the fact that those these superstars aren't retiring it is getting drastically more competitive and more difficult to really make a name for yourself on a year in year out basis um even than it was i would say five years ago so i i don't know that i can rank her in the grade she's definitely had i believe like not i believe this is undoubtedly an all-time great collegiate career and uh, you know, I would love to see her cap it off with a national championship. And then, you know, I mean, she's going to be in the mix, I believe, for the Olympic team this summer. I mean, I think she's going to immediately make an impact on the next level. Mm. Were you surprised she came back for this season and didn't go straight into the WNBA? Um, No, because of the talent that was coming back with her. You know what I mean? Like, I think she knew that Oregon had a great shot to win it all if she did come back. You know, she's got her teammates, Ruthie Hebert and uh, Satu Sabali, who um, are also going to be in the WNBA draft. So she knew she was coming back to something special and that environment and building what they have in Oregon and really trying to, you know, complete the goal they set out for, which is, and they've actually already done that. They, you know, when they set out, they wanted to just be kind of in final four contention. Um, and now they're their favorites for the national championship. So I think given all of that and given the fact that while there is money available to go pro for women, 
Um, and she will get a big sponsorship when she goes pro and, you know, she, she will have money when she goes pro more so than her WNBA rookie salary, uh, of course. But, you know, I think the, the college game for women is still for the elite players. It still means more, um, mm-hmm. because the limitations at the pro level. And so for that reason, I wasn't surprised. Um, but I'm also, you know, I mean, Satu Sabli, her teammate who, could probably be the number two or the number three pick now in the draft. You know, she's just a junior and she's coming out, but I think it's because she knows the team won't be as successful next year. You know, they're losing, they're losing talent. This is really their window. Now, um, switching to soccer, you know, we, we've covered the U.S. women's national team on this podcast um, a great deal over the many months. Uh, they've just been, you know, a terrific story um, and a terrific narrative. But now the lawsuit that they have is moving towards trial. Where where, where are we with that? Yeah, so both sides um, have recently filed motions that I think put us in one of the scariest places I've seen a legal challenge for women's sports um, in a very long time. So a lot of this lawsuit has been fought over things like FIFA money, you know, the U.S. soccer saying we can't give you more money um, for your wins. We can't match the money we're giving the men because when the men win in the World Cup, we get so much more money from FIFA, you know, so it's an economic thing that starts at the top. And so that's one of their arguments. Another argument is about making sure they keep enough money to fund the grassroots level of the sport and so that they don't give all this away to the national teams. So those are kind of the more, you know, logistical challenges to the women's lawsuit. But one of the things that U.S. soccer's lawyers are now fighting, and we just saw it in the most recent round of um, of depositions to come out and of, of court filings, is that they're really going after the value of women's sports as a whole. You know, one of the things they keep asking, these lawyers are asking elite um, players, Carly Lloyd, Alex Morgan, in these depositions are, you know, it, could you compete against the men? Is how much, do you have the skill to compete against the men? Is the women's game as good as the men's game? So what they're doing with this, which is really scary to me, is kind of ignoring revenue and ignoring these things and going out after the very heart of women's sports and kind of saying, you can't compete against the men, so you can't earn this um, FIFA money. So therefore you don't deserve to be paid equally with the men, even if the revenue otherwise that you're bringing into us soccer is equal. And I think it's, it's something I'm really scared to watch. Cause I think that, I mean, I'm hoping that the court is not going to buy these arguments, but it's, I mean, to see it put out in such, um, you know, stark terms by a organization, a federation that likes to use the one nation, one team hashtag, I think is something that we all need to be watching very, very closely and could set an incredibly dangerous precedent for the future of women's sports. And how are they valued, especially Mm -hmm. by, once again, U.S. soccer, they're a national federation, right? They're supporting the national teams. We're not talking WNBA versus NBA here. Um, so if you had to, if you had to to predict what's going to happen, can you give us uh, some soothsaying on this? 
Oh God! It sounds I so precarious. Mean. I'd I'd love to either prepare for the worst <laughs> or feel good. <laughs> Maybe you could provide that. I mean, I think the fact that they were, you know, granted class action status in back in November was a very good sign. You know, the so far the U.S. soccer's motions to dismiss have been denied, and um, you know, it does. I don't know that they will get. So they're asking for like $63 million, $65 million in, in back pay and damages. And I don't know if they'll be awarded all of that, but my, my gut tells me that they, that this is going to work in their favor. But I think what is scary is that it's, it's all kind of, a lot of it's just, they've run the best PR campaign they can possibly run for this, right? U.S. soccer has been raked over the coals and U.S. soccer has really shown that this is the hill they want to die on, which means this is going to come down to some legal technicalities. And um, I think that's, that's scary. So I wish I could tell everyone to exhale and not worry about it, but I don't think it's that simple. One interesting development is the men's national team actually came out in full support of the women and taking this happened a couple of weeks ago. They took USA soccer to task saying, you know, you need to um, not only pay the women um, equal, but pay them, pay them more. And they didn't mean more than what they, what the men hope they're getting. They meant more than what the men are getting in their current collective bargaining agreement. Cause something that's interesting and they laid it out very clearly. The men did in their, their statement from the players association is the men are currently bargaining. Their current CBA has expired. So they're trying to bargain a new CBA. They're currently dealing with a CBA. They negotiated back in 2011, right after the financial crisis, when obviously financials were very precarious and they took what they felt was a very federation friendly deal at the time, understanding the precariousness of, you know, the finances in this country. Um, So they now are fighting to get something much, much better than what they signed in 2011, which makes perfect sense considering how well U.S. soccer is doing financially. However, um, the men are running into this problem, and the men have not been that vocally supportive of the women, we have to say. But the men are running into this problem where U.S. soccer, the women's current equal pay lawsuit, is against the men's current collective bargaining agreement, the one that was signed in 2011. So they're saying that the collective bargain, follow me here, that the collective bargaining agreement, the women signed in 2017 is not, they're being treated unequally and discriminated against based on the collective bargaining agreement, the men signed back in 2011. So, of course, when USA Soccer is trying to defend the fact that that collective bargaining was, you know, that this current distribution of wealth uh, is fair between the men and the women, they're not going to want to give the men much more in this next CBA, right? So currently the fact that the men, that this US soccer is not paying the women more and is fighting so hard to prove that they've given the women a fair deal that is now keeping the men from getting more. And now the men are really mad. <laughs> mm, wow. Well, <laughs> Amazing well, how you really, really, uh, discrimination uh, really hurts when it comes back to you. you know? Exactly. <laughs> Personally. Uh, yeah. Funny, funny how that works. Um, 
I, I, not not to whiplash too much around, but um, I just in the time I have you, I did want to ask you this question. Uh, late, later uh, in, in the podcast, I'm going to be interviewing the uh, writer and poet Kevin Powell, who is at uh, Kobe Bryant's memorial at the Staples Center, and um, and he's going to speak about what that experience was like. Um, now, when someone famous dies, there's always a battle for memory and legacy. And I wanted to ask you uh, what your assessment is of, of the aftermath of the deaths of, of Kobe and Gianna and, of course, uh, the, the other people on, on, the, on that helicopter. I, I wanted to ask your thoughts about how it's been handled and, um, you know, the aftermath, of course, of uh, Colorado 2003 sexual assault charges, how that's been handled and how you think it should have been handled or should be handled. I think it's it's been really tough because it's obviously something that the media never did a good job grappling with while he was alive. So, of course, it is not going to be grappled with well when, you know, he passes away tragically like there was, um, you know, he wouldn't answer questions about it. And that was kind of it. You know, I mean, it was the media just kind of let it be. They would give him the profiles and the big, um, you know, flowery write ups anyways, and just put a note in there saying, you know, he wouldn't discuss Colorado, you know, or he's still enforcing his the non-disclosure agreement. So I think, you know, I, I first of all think it was a very tough time for survivors to see, um, you know, the deification of him in the wake of his um, his passing and it you know and having so many people telling survivors that their feelings were not valid you know that they that they weren't allowed to bring up that part of his legacy yet you know and i think that was really tough to watch at the same time um i also had a problem with people who said that you know um, nobody was allowed to mourn the loss of Kobe Bryant and, and you know, because of this, cause that's just, that's not how grief works and that's not how legacies work either. You know, I think it was both. I actually had a very interesting, um, you know, I was personal situation where I was at the up covering the Con- U- university of Connecticut versus team USA game. So I, um, was, I had just left USA basketball practice, USA women's basketball practice, when I got the news, when the news broke about Kobe's death. And then the next day was going to be their game against UConn, which, of course, was the school that um, Gianna had wanted to attend, had dreamed of attending. And I had written a piece back in – when Kobe retired about his rape case and that piece started going, getting spread around, which means that my direct messages on Twitter and my email was flooded with survivors reaching out to me who were having a really hard time. Um, And at the same time, I went to cover this basketball game where it was full of, um, it was a memorial. The basketball game was a memorial. And, you know, there's Diana Taurasi and there's Sue Bird and there's these younger players, um, you know, Katie Lou Samuelson. Um, all, Maya Moore was there, you know, all talking about how much Kobe Bryant meant to them personally and how much his support of the women's game meant to them. And, you know, I'd always wondered if it was a little bit of an act, if there was a performative nature to Kobe's support. But what was very clear talking to these women was that 
if there was, he was a great performer because they didn't feel it. You know, his support meant so much to them mm-hmm. and his support fuel came from Gianna's love for the game. You know, he wasn't now that he ever really disrespected the game, but he wasn't, you know, known to be courtside at LA Sparks games, you know, during his career. Um, you know, this was very much after his career. Once Gianna really got into the sport that he really started to become a, an advocate. And I think what was lost, what felt lost was the impact that they could have on the game going forward. It feels like this huge loss to the community. And so I just think that, you know, everyone's allowed to feel their complicated feelings and just don't police how other people are feeling, (laughs) you know, in moments of grief. But I also think the main thing that I want people to take away from the later part of his legacy and the unfinished part of his legacy is that, you know, he had already created his legacy in the NBA. That part of his legacy was 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 created. You know, he he'd done that. The unfinished part of his basketball legacy was in women's basketball. You know, was through his daughter, was through his support, was through the youth game. And so I think it's tough when you see all of these people on Twitter um, who are you know talking about the Mamba mentality and um, talking about how much Kobe meant to them. And then they, you know, two tweets later, they're insulting women's basketball. And, you you know, I wrote a news, a part of my newsletter. I just said, you know, you really cannot honor Kobe and Gigi's legacy if you don't respect the women's women's basketball, because that's the part of his legacy that the rest of us kind of have to complete for him and pick up for him. And so I thought it was very moving at his memorial that the first three people to speak after um, Vanessa Bryant were um, Diana Taurasi, Sabrina Ionescu, and Gino Ariema, you know, three women's basketball legends. And that makes a statement. And so that's what I, well, I hope we continue to have the conversation about, you know, how we treat, um, you know, legacies and, you know, how we cover rape cases and rape trials in the media. And I think that's also part of his legacy. I, I hope that, um, you know, women's basketball and changing minds and hearts and sponsorship dollars about women's basketball is something that much, many more people will take to heart. Mm. You know, I, I've been in the middle of this story now, of course, for, uh, for about a month. Um, that, that, that's the best I've heard anybody sum it up. Thank you so much for that. That I've been was, thinking about it a lot. <laughs> that was that was really really important and terrific. I hope people actually hit rewind and listen to that again. Um, and then I just wanted to ask you before you left. I, I introduced you as the the writer of Power Plays, a no BS newsletter about sexism in sports. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing with Power Plays, going to a subscription model, and why everybody 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 should subscribe? Yeah. So a lot of people might know me from, I worked at Think Progress for four years as a sports reporter there, where kind of similar to like, you know, what you uh, have gotten the ability to do at The Nation, you know, it's a very, um, very loose and very unique to be able to have that place where you can so, um, without any pushback, you know, merge progressive values in sports, you know, um, cause so many sports places are, are grappling with it. And so I was just so lucky to have that position for so many years and, but unfortunately think progress shut down. And, you know, when that happened, the one thing I, I did not want to lose was the ability to write about the intersection of gender and sports, because I felt that was the most important work I'd been doing at Think Progress. 
Um, I'm currently writing a book on the activism of female athletes. I co-host a feminist sports podcast, Burn It All Down. So it's it's such so ingrained in what I do. But believe it or not, there weren't people knocking down my door to allow me to continue this work because, you know, the state of the sports industry is, um, you know, and the media industry as whole is is mm-hmm. precarious. And, you know, people are moving back to the stick to sports model now, you know, with Deadspin closing and with the way ESPN's going. So, you know, I was at first going to freelance um, full time, um, go back to that while I figured out what was next. But Substack actually offered me um, a deal. Um, Substack's in the newsletter subscription service to build something that, you know, I felt was meaningful and and try and give it a go full time at this paid subscription model. So I thought it was a wonderful opportunity and one that I wasn't going to get, um, you know, again, this was the right timing. Um, so it power plays. I worked on it for four months for for free. Every newsletter has been free for the past four months and the archives are still there and will be free forever. So you can go and check that out. Powerplays.news. Um, and, uh, you know, three newsletters a week, all kind of diving into the power structures at play that are keeping women's sports on the margins. Um, cause what I want people to realize is that it's women's sports didn't end up on the margins by accident. It really wasn't market demand or whatever people call it. You know, it was systemic choices that have been made for centuries and are still being made today that have left us, you know, where women's sports sit. And um, one of the things I like to do with the newsletter is really point to these people in positions of power, call out the media, and really look at ways that, um, you know, we can move the coverage of women's sports and the treatment of women's sports forward. So if you enjoy looking at things um, from a systemic level, which I know a lot of your listeners do, I can guarantee you're going to get something out of power plays. You don't have to be an expert on women's sports. I'm actually about to send out a newsletter about cricket. I don't know much at all about cricket, uh, but but I, I bet you I, learned a lot putting that together. Though. But I learned a lot putting this together. And what's interesting to me is um, on March 8th to International Women's Day um, this Saturday, they are trying, Cricket Australia and International Crickets Council are trying to break the attendance record for a women's sporting event. I didn't even know this was happening. So they're trying to get 95,000 people to um, the Melbourne Cricket Grounds to watch the final of the T20 Women's World Cup. This has been a years-long initiative um, that has been ongoing. And they're, if they break the record, which they have a very good possibility of doing, especially if Australia makes the final, it would break the record that was set in 1999 at the Women's World Cup final between USA and China at the Rose Bowl. So that's the record they're going for. Um, so that's a huge story. You know, that's in, in they've made systemic and intentional choices along the way to go after this record. And I think that's what's fascinating um, to me about it. So, uh, you know, you don't have to to be an expert on on any one sport, um, I think, to appreciate the newsletter. And I'm completely independent, which I think is just so powerful. You know, it it Mm -hmm. gives me the ability to call out ESPN, to call out the New York Times, to um, monitor the coverage of women's sports in a way that isn't being done because when people are doing it, they're often monitoring their company's work. (laughs) That's very uncomfortable. Um, So, you know, it's, it's, 
it's very, it's, I think like $8 a month and there's always discounts running, um, you know, to, to subscribe. Um, and it's, we're not just building, it's not just a newsletter. We're really building a community, um, through the threads, people are connecting with one another. We're running a, a monthly women's book club. Um, this first month will be the Pat summit, um, summit up book, um, autobiography with Pat summit and Sally Jenkins. So as we start, um, the women's NCAA tournament, looking back at Pat Summons legacy. Wow. Um, and we're going to be discussing that as a group. And every month there will be a new book, um, that we read together as a, a unit and discuss and have authors come in for Q and A's and, um, you know, dive into those slices of history. So I, I think, and it's, I'm going to, for paid subscribers tell you every week, you know, what you should be watching for women's sports. Cause sometimes it's hard to find. So, you know, the big games and the big matches that, um, you know, ev everyone should care about and, and where to find them. So I think it's going to be a great, it is already, honestly, I'm so proud of the community that we've already built in such a short time. And I think if you're not subscribing, you're, you're missing out on a chance to, um, engage with women's sports in a, in a new and unique way that I think will really, um, I'm learning from it every single day, just from writing it. And my readers are learning. And I think that is so much part of the solution is just engaging with these issues in an in-depth way that you can't get anywhere else. And the great thing about this model is I don't have to fight I don't have to fight bosses or editors on a daily basis to be able to cover women's sports, right? I get to pick, put all of my fight into my reporting. <laughs> and um, that was, I think, the most exciting part of um, going after this venture to me. So I appreciate any any support from your listeners and um, am just so excited about it and been so, so excited about the response so far. It's just been... Um, it's been remarkable. Well, congratulations on that. Hey, Lindsay Gibbs, for, hey, what music are you listening to these days? Give us that, and then I'll let you go. I promise. Okay, well, I, I have this thing where I will, like, wear out one album for, like, two years. And so for okay. me, it's still been The High Women. Like, I still cannot stop playing The High Women record. The High Women. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm sure there's uh, some newer stuff I need to be listening to, but that, that's that's what's on my rotation. No, that's good, though. Keep spreading that word. My producer is Googling The High Women as we speak. You'll love so. it. You'll love it. <laughs> Awesome. Hey, thanks so much for making the time. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. I got to say, I met somebody in D.C. the other day at a bar and they um, they recognized me and I said, how, how do you how do you know? You know, how did you find my work? And they said through a Dave's Iron podcast. So thank you. Boom. <laughs> yes. People are listening. Praise be. Praise th me. <laughs> thanks so much, Lindsay. Thank you. Okay. Be well. Bye. Thank you so much, Lindsay Gibbs. We'll be back right after this message. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and 
and bubblegum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it, but we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. We are back on the Edge of Sports podcast. Now I'm going to read a poem called Dear Kobe by Kevin Powell, followed by a short interview with Kevin Powell. We recorded this a few days back uh, using the facilities at Pacifica Radio here in D.C., WPFW 89.3 FM. Listen up. This is Dear Kobe by Kevin Powell. Their eyes were watching for you, the way they watched for Jesus Shuttlesworth and Malcolm X and Nipsey Hussle over on Slauson and Crenshaw. They came in cars, on planes, by bus, by grit. They got there by foot. They were in wheelchairs. Their sandpaper palms gripped canes and walkers. They were slouching baby boomers, salt-and-pepper-haired Gen Xers, tattooed-faced millennials. They be Beyonce and Jimmy Kimmel and seven-feet ballers who crush the ground like jolly green giants. They march from all over with purple and yellow gold steamed to their chests. They march through the musty scents of downtown Los Angeles, the way 20th century Europeans marched from freedom ships to Ellis Island, the way 21st century immigrants march from Mexico into the barbed wire borders of the Promised Land, the way, chocolate, the way chocolate-legged country dwellers marched from Mississippi to the salty beaches and sleepy hoods of California, a massive army of humanity hemmed up block after block, looking for the Staples Center, looking for that angel in America who got a city of billions round the world saying your name, Kobe. The lines of flesh speed text as police and arena workers shoo people to move like you moved on that basketball court. A black mamba, yes, but also an African ballet dancer who broke loose the chains of plantations and copied and pasted Beethoven and basketball with Biggie and Beverly Hills as your body leaped and lunged into the open mouths of nameless ancestors who done seen some things. And them ancestors blew Michael Jordan and Dr. J and your daddy and your mama and Philadelphia and Japan and Italy and the holy ghost of Dizzy and Coltrane into your veins just means the people marching to be like you. Kobe, and they be white, black, Latinx, Asian, Native American, Pacific Islander, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, atheism, agnostic, this gender, that gender, no gender. They be Kendrick's cool hip-hop. They be Sinatra's cool jazz. They be Lakers matching jelly beans with Amy Winehouse and Marilyn Monroe, as you, Kobe, and you, Gianna, Wax poetic with John Lennon and Marvin Gaye about love, love, love. They'd be a rainbow coalition of thousands marching over your mid-range jumpers and 360-degree dunks as they scrape field hollers and spirituals and your blues from their veins. Kobe, wearing number eight, wearing number 24, wearing Gianna's number two. Street hustlers selling t-shirts, posters clipped and chipped memories of you, putting an entire nation on your shoulders, winning five championships, teaching us the magic of the Mamba mentality, telling us to keep shooting even when the odds are slanted like that cloudy hillside in heaven. 
you be heaven to us, Kobe, because you never gave up. That's why they come to you. Like you are a saint, a king, royalty, yeah, a political leader, yeah, a self-help guru, yeah, a storyteller, yeah. They come to you because you could chest pass a basketball through the smashed windows of centuries of dreams denied. They come to you because you crumbled in front of us and got back up and confessed and apologized and sculpted yourself into a husband, a lover, a father, a girl's dad, Vanessa Bryant's multilingual soulmate her tears, her words, the biblical permission we need to release your joyful angel's wings into the healing arms of the Pacific Ocean. Kobe, forever, forever, forever. That's Dear Kobe by Kevin Powell. And we're so privileged to have him on the line right now. Kevin Good Powell, morning. how are you doing, sir? Wow. Uh, uh, just thank you for reading that. I just... Uh... Thank you for reading that. It was beautiful the way you recited it. Just thank you. Just thank you. I'm here in Los, I'm still here in Los Angeles, uh, um, and I'm just thinking about all of it. You know, um, you're you're uh, one of our great sports writers and historians. Yeah. And I, the last time I felt this kind of uh, anguish over a sports hero was when I was a kid, and uh, I remember months of my 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 of my beloved New York Yankees. The catcher for the Yankees died in 1979 in a plane mm -hmm. crash. And it was the same kind of uh, feeling, you know, because we, we look up to these folks and, um, you know, sports means so much, you know, to, to so many of us. It's, it's a metaphor for life. It's, it's, you know, they're like family members, you know what I mean? And so when you lose people, it just, it, it, you know, what was really striking to me today being at the memorial, I, I purposely stood outside. I got there early and I just, just to see the diversity of people, as I described in the poem you know, of all different colors and races and identities and ages, generation. I mean, you would have thought this was a, 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 a leader of a country mm -hmm. who had passed. That's what it felt like, you know. And it just said something about the power of sports and how much it means to so many people. Well, I got to ask you a couple of questions here. Um, the, the first is you are, in addition to being a political writer and a poet, you're also a performer, when you read your poetry and you had me read that poem instead of wanting to read it yourself. And I, I am what we would call a pale facsimile of Kevin Powell. So I, I, I wanted great. to, well, I, I really actually appreciate you saying that because I haven't been nervous on this show in a long time and I was nervous reading your words. So, but let me ask you the question. Why, why didn't you want to read it? Maybe explain that to folks. Well, I started crying. Um, I sat, uh, in the media section. Oh, it seems like we lost Kevin. No, I'm here. Oh, there I'm you here. are. You, you're saying you sat in the media section and, and what? Yeah, I just I actually just started crying. Just oh, my bad. I was sitting next to a, a wonderful woman uh, named Alyssa who writes for Sports Illustrated, and um, she started crying before the ceremony even started. And then folks all in the media section at Staples Center we're tearing up. I mean, you know, there were so many, you know, I mean, when Michael Jordan was up there and he broke down when Vanessa, you know, uh, spoke and, and it was just, you know, Diana Taurasi. I mean, you know, it was, um, it was, I think I couldn't read it. Honestly, it was hard enough to write it. I've been writing, working on this phone all week. Um, it's going to go on com so people can look for it later today. Uh, but I just, it's just, you know, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard because it's um, it's tragic. It makes no sense. Um, 
it's not just Kobe Giannis, the seven other precious lives that were lost, you know, and when Rob Palinka spoke and said that, um, you know, um, Kobe's last act was to try to help uh, the father who was on the plane, Mr. Atabelli, his daughter, get an internship in baseball with a baseball, baseball agent. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it, so the emotions are raw. You know, they're going to be raw for a while for a lot of us, you know, around this. I wanted to ask you that as well. I mean, you explained in poetry why Kobe has had such an effect on so many, literally billions of people. I want to ask you to try to explain it in prose. I mean, what is it about Kobe Bryant, you think, where it's affected people so deeply? I think he represented the best of who we are as human beings. I mean, he was obviously a very imperfect human being. And and as I said to you when I wrote the first piece right after Kobe passed for Vibe, um, you know, I, I linked purposely to your, your article for, was it 2014, 2015, where you talked about yeah. him owning up to and apologizing for the, the, the rape allegation piece that happened in Colorado in the 2000s. And so he literally grew up in front of us. I mean, Kobe came into the, he was drafted at 17, as you know, and, and he died at 41. So the last quarter of a century, we he's been a part of our lives. It's like growing up with the Beatles or growing up with, you know, Tupac or whoever it may be, this 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 reference points and so i think that's a big part of it you know and i think you know the drive the for excellence you know the 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 work ethic that he had constantly reinventing himself there's a lot of americana you know and i think that's why he spoke to so many different types of people and that that's what got me I, i'll be honest with you there was a period when i didn't like kobe i didn't mm-hmm. when they went to, when they did a three p with Shaq. i thought kobe was the problem mm-hmm. <laughs> i was like you know, it's like, you know, why can't he get along with Phil Jackson and Shaquille O'Neal? Like, what is wrong with this kid? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? But I think that the incident in Colorado not only uh, humbled him and, and, and forced him to take a deep look inside, but I also think it changed him. And it's interesting, you know, how Phil Jackson said by the time they got to the, the, the back-to-back championships in 2009, 2010, was mm-hmm. it, I believe? Mm-hmm. You know, Kobe had become a you know, different kind of player, like a mentor to the players, the other team, the younger players. And so... We got to see him grow up, you yeah. know, and then snatched away. 41 is young. Yeah. You know, Especially young. for someone who it looked like they were headed towards uh, a new chapter in their life. Because I'll be honest with you, I've met former NFL players who were 41 who did not seem young. You know, they wow. seemed like they had graduated right from playing to old age. And, wow. and, and we're just done because of the toll of the game. It, it just It's just like one of those things. It really does represent this idea where you're only as young as you feel. And you're only as young as you act, and you can get younger every year because he seemed like such a young, vibrant 41 about to start this next chapter. I mean, you know, I was reading somewhere where he had a new animation deal, and we don't know what kind of filmmaker Kobe could have been. We don't know what kind of entrepreneur he could have been. We don't know what he would have done in a tech world. It's just, you know, Gianna, you know, getting to play for Gino in the University of Connecticut in, Mm. what, four or five years from now. I mean, what that could have, I mean, just so many different things. And this is, I, I uh, you know, and obviously I have felt sad when David Bowie's died or Prince has died, you know, other icons. But this one is like, the outpouring feels like Tupac back in 96, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I feel like. It's the same kind of like, because he was always, you know, what could have been? What could have been, you know, um, when someone snatched away that young? And I, I purposely referenced in the poem, other people who, who died young, John Lennon, Marvin Gaye, Amy Winehouse, Amy Winehouse, pardon me, Marilyn Monroe, because, you know, they all are people that, you know, we live through. They they represent things for us. And when they're gone, 
you know, you're trying to make sense of it and, and, and how do you move forward, you know, and um, it's just it's just a tragedy all the way around. But I hope that, as Rob Palenka said and other folks said at the memorial, uh, you know, honor people while they're here, love people while they're here. If it's not some major beef with people, you got to let it go, man. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I'm glad about is that Shaq and Kobe at least got to a point where they were cool. And, you know, Kobe was texting Shaq's son and offering encouragement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Kobe's kids referred to Shaq, Shaq as Uncle Shaq. I mean, it's, you know, that's what I'm talking about, you know, uh, because I think, uh, and me and an Uber driver talking about this yesterday, how John Lennon and Paul McCartney never really got to reconcile that John Lennon was gone. You know what I mean? Um, you know, in a way they could have reconciled. And I think that's important. I think that's a lesson we got to take from Kobe's life, that he was constantly growing and, and, and growing up along the way. It reminded me, um, on a different level, of course, and but but it reminded me of going to Muhammad Ali's funeral and seeing uh, w- one of Malcolm X's daughters speak, and her speaking, I, I believe it was, um, uh, I can't remember which daughter it was, I apologize for that, but she, she, she spoke so beautifully about the ways in which secretly Muhammad Ali was a part of their lives after Malcolm was assassinated. And oh, wow. the way he gave them, gave his love, his attention, his money for, for decades, but always very, very, very surreptitiously because of fear of reprisals that could take place yeah. if it was known yeah. how connected he was with Malcolm's family. And I was just like, my, my goodness, you know, isn't that what it's really all about in the end? Isn't That's that right. what it's really about? Like he felt love for Malcolm. Uh, Malcolm dies. He felt like he wasn't there for Malcolm um, after he was killed. And so he devoted his life secretly mm-hmm. to Malcolm's family. Mm-hmm. And then Malcolm's daughter and uh, Muhammad's wife, Lonnie, they embraced on the stage in front of everybody. And, you know, not, not a dry eye. Wow. Not a dry wow. eye. And speaking of not a dry eye, I, I was talking last night with someone whose son was on the same kind of high-end basketball circuit as Gianna. And I, and I said to him, I said, you know, it's kind of weird the way everyone's telescoping that she played. She was going to play for Connecticut because she was, you know, just a kid. And he said to me, no, not only was she that good, but everybody had a crush on her. And it was partly because of her personality and that she was a that she was pretty, but but it was also because she was that good that the boys would start just hanging around her just to watch her fall away jump shot and and it was just like from there and I just started welling up when he was telling me that of just this image of these boys sort of like because I think of my own son who's eleven like just sort of awkwardly gathering around her to watch her play, but also secretly harboring a crush. It just got me teary all over again. That's incredible. Yeah, it's just, you know, and I just, I think, you know, and you're a father, and I hope to be a father one day, just you know, how important that is, that dynamic of, of seeing him become a father and, 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 you know, being very actively engaged. And I mean, the, the, the irony and the tragedy of, the, of how he died and how they all died is that he was using the helicopter, as we know, for years, not only to get to games and to practices, you know, to fight the L.A. traffic, which drives me crazy, which I can understand. <laughs> But also, mm-hmm. so he could spend more time, quality time with his family, and 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 something that um, Vanessa said, and I'm sure you you know folks heard it, was when she said that you know God you know knew how close Gianna and and, and Kobe were, and so they had to go together. I mean, and people mm-hmm. just started bawling when that was said, and you know I think the words, and I'm paraphrasing Dave, but she said after that, you know I know that Kobe has her up in heaven, and I got the girls down here. We're still a team. 
I mean, that said it all. That just said it all. You know, that said it all. That, that you're still a family no matter what, you know. And her strength and of being able to do that is just yeah, unreal. Yeah, and whether people are Christian or Jewish or Muslim or no faith at all, agnostic, atheist, as I said, intentionally in the poem, you know, there is a spirituality that connects us as human beings. And, and there's blood relatives that we feel that about. There are people, like I feel that about you, Dave Zyron, you know, that we care about deeply. And we don't want to see anything happen to them. And if anything, if we, either one of us goes first, you know, the spirit of our, our relationship will always be there, you know. And that's that's something I don't take for granted, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And, and just to just, uh, be clear, uh, the person who spoke at Muhammad Ali's memorial service was Atala Shabazz. She's the yes, one who spoke, yes. and, and she spoke so beautifully. Um, and I, I transcribed what she said and put it on the nation's site. I'll put it out on the... Um, on my Twitter feed, if people want to check that out, so that's really cool. I'll ask wow. you, Kevin, what what is going to stick with you the most from this incredible experience that you had of going to this memorial service? Is it going to be the people you saw come in? Is it going to be a particular speaker? Is it going to be somebody you were able to just give a pound to and a hug to? What do you think is going to be the enduring, the stickiest memory? Mm. Well, first and foremost, it's Vanessa Bryant because uh, it took it took an incredible amount of courage to get up there because I mean I in my mind I started thinking about Jacqueline Kennedy you know I thought about Ethel Kennedy I thought about Betty Shabazz I thought about Loretta Sky King I thought about Yoko Ono all these amazing women who were the equals of their 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 male partners who had to then carry on the legacies of these husbands who died in tragic ways and you know I I unless just I don't remember it I can't even think of an instance of of any one of them getting up at the funeral or memorial celebration that way and, and talking the way she did. And I believe it was a last-minute decision, and it was in her own words. Uh, and she really wanted to do it, and I love the way she broke it down. First, she started with her daughter, and then she went to Kobe. And um, that will stick with me. You know, that will stick with me because, you know, we know their marriage goes through a lot. We know that they um, had filed for divorce in 2013, I believe, and then they reconciled. You know, we know that they... Oh, they were kids when they got married. Yeah, basically. that's just thinking yeah. that they, they were babies when they got married. Yeah, yeah. But somehow or another, they got through all of the stuff. I mean, I mean, she Kobe had to admit that he cheated on her when the incident in Colorado happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, but they got through all of that, and that 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 resonated with me. You know, um, you know, something one of my friends was saying. You know, people have to fight for their love, and they fought for their love. You know, and. You know, when um, Alicia Keys came out and did Beethoven's um, uh, Moonlight Sonata and, and how Kobe, you know, it was shared that Kobe, Palenka said, Rob Palenka said that he taught himself. He had no musical training whatsoever. He taught himself how to play Beethoven's Moonlight, Moonlight Sonata so he could actually play it for, for, for Nesta. I mean, that mm. sums it up right there, you know, that they had grown into something really remarkable, you know, right. um, in spite of everything they had been through, yeah. Yeah. Right. And and that's the other thing is that one always and you don't have this with a lot of other players or maybe uh, let's just say very, very few other athletes. You get the sense that there is just an incredible brain lurking there. And and yet that brain had to be almost monomaniacally focused on basketball for decades. And now that brain was finally going to get the chance to unlock. And so all the skill sets that we've seen from Kobe over the years, from teaching himself music to being able to be multilingual, uh, which which is an incredible intelligence to be able to speak multiple languages. I mean, we were going to see all of that blossom now. 
because basketball yeah. didn't have to be his yeah. number one focus 24-7. And, man, to, to not be able to see that, I think that's one of the reasons this has struck people so hard is because, you know, I, with, with all respect to other former athletes, he wasn't going to be someone just sort of hanging on the, on the margins. Uh, he was right. going to be somebody right. who was going to blaze his own path, which then other people like I, I know that for LeBron, one of the reasons this has struck LeBron so hard is because he saw Kobe as being able to blaze that path that he'd then be able to walk through when he retired. That's and right. so you lose That's that. Right. It's like losing a big brother. It's like losing a mentor. And for LeBron, I don't imagine he has many of those in his life. Being LeBron. I mean, yeah, I totally agree with you, you know, because it's like you're kind of out there, you know, just the way Michael Jordan was out there. And I think that was the other point in the moment for me. I loved all the speakers. I thought Rob Lincoln was powerful and brilliant as Kobe's longtime best friend, godfather to Gigi, to Gianna, but also um, his agent for many years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people may remember that Rob Lincoln was there when the Fat Five played at the University of Michigan. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, That's right. You know, yeah. But Michael Jordan getting up there, you know, who, who was the man, the athlete, the hero that Kobe most emulated, you know, saying that Kobe had inspired him to be a better girl's dad, to be a better person. I just said, wow. You know what I mean? Just wow. You know, because I mean, Michael, I, you know, I remember being at Vibe in the 90s and um, every chance I got, Dave, I would try to do a sports piece. I wrote about Chris Webber, about Penny Hardway. It was one of my favorite moments was covering the 96 Olympic basketball team. It was at I went to San Antonio for All-Star Weekend, and I just remember Michael, they were practicing, and then when it was over, it felt like Michael Jack, Michael Jordan was Jesus. He goes to all the media just descended on him with ladders. I was mm-hmm. like, holy cow. And that, you know, that was a few months before Kobe got drafted. And to fast forward 24 years later, and here's Michael talking about Kobe in this way. Just said a lot about, you know, Kobe, you know, ain't one championship short of Jordan. And, you know, um, arguably in that, you know, uh, a class, conversation of the top five greatest basketball players ever and, and you know it was really an a, a incredible uh testimony that, that jordan gave and uh, it was funny too when he talked about the crying meme and here we go again with that <laughs> you know so, well, that was oh, brilliant I, like my, my, one of my favorite twitter followers uh miles brown he said like the the image now of jordan crying like we should all agree that it now be used uh sincerely that's right that's <laughs> right that's right i agree with that and it was, yeah. it was just amazing. Jordan rose to the occasion in a way that, frankly, I didn't know he had it in him. I mean, I was, I was, I mean, anyone who saw Jordan's Hall of Fame speech would know that, you know, you watch him speak publicly, you know, crossing your fingers because, you know, it wouldn't be beyond yeah. Jordan to be like, Kobe thought he was better than me. He wasn't. Yeah. Like, you would yeah. never know what Jordan's yeah. going to say. And, right. and he was, he was uh, beautiful. He was lyrical. That's right. That's right. I couldn't believe it. And that says a lot about Kobe. I think, the ability to bring all these different types of people together to bring out things we couldn't even imagine. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, from Michael Jordan, from Shaq, you know, I mean, you know, I thought about even how the Lakers were just in turmoil just a year ago, as you know, or less than a year ago with magic and Palinka and to see them there. And, 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 you know, um, you know, um, God, um, it just, it was a magical day. It's one of the days, like, you know, people ask me, like, what are, I value every day, day, you know, mm-hmm. but being in Vegas outside the hospital when Pac died, um, you know, um, being in New York around 9-11, being in New Orleans around Katrina, being, you know, at the memorial for Kobe 
Kobe Bryant or some of the things I will never forget for the rest of my life, you know, um, never, you know, um, because it's, it, if it doesn't affect you, there's something wrong with your humanity. And I come, I came out of that, like with a greater sense of urgency, like, you know what, I got to have that Mamba mentality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and you and I are talking about a product that we, we're going to do together. And I'm like, let's go, let's do it. Man. Mamba you know mentality. Exactly. You know yeah. Limited yeah. by our imagination. That's right. Only That's right. Yes, in our sir. drive. Yes. Hey, That's right. Kevin Powell, I really do appreciate you taking the time. I know it's an emotional time. How can people follow up with your work? Uh, well, please today go to vibe.com. You'll see the Kobe poem that Dave Zyron uh, brilliantly and oh. eloquently and Dylan Thomas esque read, which oh. I appreciate. <laughs> I'm serious, brother. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, just thank you for doing that. So I would say do that. And, you know, just. Instagram, Kevin Powell in Brooklyn. You know, hit me on Instagram. That's where I'm at. Yep. Right on. All right, brother. I Kevin, appreciate you, man. Appreciate you, you too. Be well. All right. Peace. Thank you so much, Kevin Powell. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. We'll be back right after this, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation Magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe, and please never forget that when you support The Nation magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. We are back on the Edge of Sports podcast. Now, I've got some Kaepernick watch slash choice words about something that's been going down in the great state of Brooklyn, New York. I know it's a borough. borough. Okay. Um, So, look. There was an extension of the Kaepernick struggle that took place last week, but it got next to no media publicity whatsoever. Two volleyball players from Brooklyn College went to one knee before a game against the Yeshiva. They kneeled during the playing of Israel's national anthem this week as a protest against Israel's racism and state violence, most pointedly against Israel's policies of occupation that keep two million Palestinians of Gaza in an open-air prison surrounded by checkpoints and walls. They weren't just going to stand for Israel's anthem, hand over hearts, and do nothing. The two athletes, whose names are Hunan Boot and Omar Rasika, were immediately slandered as anti-Semites by their simple, silent gesture of dissent, with much of the hatred against them whipped up by the yeshiva president, Dr. Ari Berman. Even though the game was not played in Israel, and even though there were political objections to what Israel's doing, Ari Berman, instead of reaching out for some sort of dialogue with the two athletes or trying to understand why they would do that, instead whipped up a lot of heat against them and attacked their First Amendment rights of freedom of speech. Sure enough, a ton of websites uh, and a ton of Twitter feeds went on the attack against these two teenage athletes. They had to put all their social media on private and retreat because the level of backlash which they could not have expected. And suffice it to say, these same feeds that praise a president who makes anti-Semitic comments and whose acolytes chant, Jews will not replace us, are now slandering two young people in frightening fashion because they dared stand for the voiceless of Palestine. 
Now, I reached out to Nora Erekat, The Struggle of Justice for Some, Law and the Question of Palestine, and this is what she said to me. I want to read her words. There is a dark distinction between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism, and though there has been a deliberate effort to conflate Jewish liberation with Zionism, that is neither universally accepted and hardly historically accurate. These students took a clear stance against a national symbol of the state in a manner that echoes protests among black athletes in the U.S., and just as black protest has been maligned in order to avoid the issues of racial injustice, so too is the student's legitimate protest being unjustly attacked. Now, the two athletes are not making any comment. I, I tried to reach out to them, get them on the pod, speak to them for the nation. But perhaps they're fearful, given that one website put them on, quote-unquote, jihad watch. But look, if Yeshiva wants to play the Israeli national anthem, that's their business. To expect athletes to stand with their hand over their hearts only demonstrates how many inroads Trump's brigade of Christian soldiers who think we're all going to hell come the rapture, along with their pro-occupation allies, have made in challenging basic freedoms of speech. Many rushed to Colin Kaepernick's side in solidarity when he took the knee. We should do the same for Hunan and Omar. Oh, and by the way, it should go without saying that Hunan and Omar get the Just Stand Up Award this week. Stand up! For just taking that one knee. And the Just Sit Your Ass Down Award. Sit your ass down! Goes to the people at Yeshiva who are whipping up this kind of hatred against them. You see? I put that all in together. Kaepernick Watch, Just Stand Up, Just Sit Down. It's all one big stew this week. And that's all the time we have this week. Thank you so much, Lindsay Gibbs. Everybody should subscribe to Power Plays. It's a terrific read. Thank you to everybody out there listening. If you like the podcast, please just take two seconds and give it a nice little rating. Write up a little statement on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. All that stuff makes a huge difference to us. For everybody out there listening, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace.
When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.